Good morning, church family. We are so glad that you guys are here during the Memorial Day weekend. Um, you know, we were praying. And said, I don't think anybody's going to be here this weekend. Everybody's going to be going away, but I am so glad that we have a full house. And those of you guys who are joining us over the internet, uh, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here at CLC. Now, I want to do something. I want to read you something before I pray as we go into today's message. And so I just want you to kind of just quietly and just listen, just listen. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are better off than six million people who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of prison, or agony of torture, pang of starvation, you are ahead of some 500 million people in this world. If you can attend a church meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than, check this out, 3 billion people in this world. And if you have food, or if you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, a place to sleep, you are richer than some 75% of the world's population today. I want you to just kind of let that sink in as we dive into today's word. Father God, that, that statistics that I just read over the congregation, and when I first came upon that statistics, I, I was just overwhelmed and I was in awe. And I just want to say thank you because I am that privileged person, that 75% who has actually no food or in starvation. And yet, Father God, I am part of that 25%. And Father God, this morning as we dive into the last chapter of First Peter, Father God, we just want to give our talents, our treasures and times to you because, Father God, you have given us those things in our lives. And this morning, Father God, as we dive into the last chapter of 1 Peter, Father God, I just ask that, Lord, the message that this whole series brought, Lord, it's not something we just retain it, but, Father God, help us to apply those truths in our daily walk. Father, as we're about to, once again, receive your word, may my heart, our hearts, Father God, so malleable. So, Father God, Lord, that as we receive it, Father God, it will be a good soil be able to manifest, Father God, 30, 60, and 100-fold. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, one of the things that I don't like to do in life is to say goodbyes. Now, for the obvious reasons. But today, we must bid farewell to the first Peter as we dive into the last chapter. But before we do that, uh, there is a slide. You guys, there's a slide. Okay, good. Once again... One of the things I don't like to do is to say goodbyes, okay, guys? And for the obvi obvious reasons, but we must say goodbye to First Peter. Now, before we do that, we are going to do a little recap, do a little recap of this sermon series. Now, before Jesus started his ministry, he, he chose his 12, but Peter, James, and John were in his inner circle. Now, if you read the Gospels, you know that Peter, James, and John were everywhere that Jesus took. 
And Peter was present with Jesus during certain special events, like transfigurations, witnessing Jesus raise Yaria's daughter and accompanying him while he was praying in, Mount, um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, not only did Peter witness Jesus' greatest moment in glory, but she, uh, Peter also witnessed um, one of his lowest point in life was that when he actually went through the trials and the sufferings and right before he was crucified on the cross. So sort of like Peter got the kind of the front row seat or, or he was so close that pr- Peter provides us for the best possible example of what it looks like to live in holiness amidst a hostile world. Now, if you guys remember in 1 Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, sanctify Christ as Lord. And so what Peter is saying is to model after Jesus, not only in our hearts, so that as believers, we might live in order to resemble Jesus Christ during our short stay here on this earth. And this, some of the things that while we're doing on this earth includes submission to authority in our homes, in our workplace, having Jesus become the focal point of our lives in the midst of our sufferings. And by rooting our perseverance in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we can cling on to the eternal hope and to be able to finish well during our tough times and even in our sufferings. You guys know the word suffering that I just mentioned, right? Which 1 Peter is all about. is actually mentioned most in 1 Peter, even though... This book only contains five chapters. Now, Pastor Eric, if you guys remember the very first sermon that he actually gave on this sermon series, Pastor Eric mentioned this is because it was written during a time period where the believers were being persecuted for their faith by Emperor Nero, right? As they were running away, they were hiding and living out their faith in fear, And that's why we titled this message, that's why we titled this message, this sermon series, Tough Times Equals Tough Faith. And now, even though 1 Peter is about sufferings, Peter also admonishes us by saying, hold on to our eternal or heavenly hope. And he repeatedly calls for a condition of our heart a way of life that only makes sense if we are absolutely sure that we will have a reward up in heaven. Now, which Christ suffered once for sin, the righteousness for all the unrighteousness, so that, that he will bring us closer to God, or he will bring us close to God. I, I love the book of Psalms. And as I was preparing for this week's sermon, I read of Psalm 16, verse 11, and this is what it said, in your presence there is a fullness of joy, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 
Let me repeat that. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and your right hand there is pleasures forevermore. You know, when I read that verse, I thought the psalmist knew what was going to happen. That this was the very reason why Christ died for us, and to show that this is our reward, our ultimate hope, even the midst of our sufferings. And so Peter calls us to think and feel and act in a way that only can be explained by an unshakable, on all a satisfying beyond this hope, this life of eternal hope. And so today, we're going to take a look at chapter 5 of 1 Peter. And as we conclude this book, he, he somehow kind of shares with us this idea of finishing well. Uh, and to his audience, he paints a picture of an athlete who endures hardship as he or she trains in the midst of sufferings and he's, as they prepare themselves for the eternal glory. Now, I want you to go to verse 10 because that's exactly what he says. But may the God of all grace who calls us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthened, settles you, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, in fact, if you look at the Bible, the Bible talks about as us as believers as runners finishing in the race or hoping for this eternal glory. If you look in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in a such a way that you may win. Or Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every incumbences and sins which he has so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But you know what? This journey, this life that, that we're in, you know that life can really hurt us. I mean, you know what? It can really, really hurt, hurt us so often. Some of us right now lost our beloved mother. This morning, as we were praying, uh, one of the members just got his car towed, and he has to pay a, a hefty fine. And, and you name it, the list goes on and on and on. Man, you know, seriously, guys, if you really, really look into the perspective of life, life can really be hurting. It can really, really hurt us a lot. And what Peter is saying this morning, beyond those pains and suffering, Peter is saying there is heaven. There is eternal hope. But honestly, how many of us woke up this morning and thought about heaven? Seriously, you woke up this morning at, you know, Uncle Tak woke up at 6 o'clock this morning. How many of you guys woke up this morning and thought about heaven? You woke up, you got up, Ben, and says, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven. If you actually answer that question, I don't think there's anybody woke up this morning and said, man, I'm going to go to heaven. Because we forget. Sometimes we fall asleep.
We put that aside. We think that, you know what, that is like out there. You know, it's, it's beyond. And especially those of you who are younger, <laughs> heaven is not even your vocabulary, right? Like you're not even thinking. But I remember when I was in my teens, somebody said, heaven, what is that? Those of you guys probably know, I ran the 92 and 93 marathon, LA marathon. And um, let me just put it into short perspective. In 92, I didn't finish. Uh, let, let me share. Now, I, I, I ran the 100 meter and 400 meter relay in my high school track. And I, and I was dumb enough to believe that I could actually run this, this grueling 26.7 mile long race. There was a bet, actually. My high school uh, track team got together five years after, and we were talking, and, and there was a bet. It said, I, I bet you can't run the marathon. And I said, I bet I can't. So I, I, seriously, you know what? I, I, I was ill-prepared, right? I, I, I didn't practice. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just, I just ran. Actually, you know what? If, if there is a footage, um, during the 92 marathon, I was that, that, that foolish person as the, the gun sounded, I, I booked, I, I ran, I, I, I just, I booked it out. Seriously, guys, seriously, I, I, I just ran because, like I said, I was the 100 meter and 400 meter dasher, right? And, and uh, I'm sure those guys running, you know, relaxing, look at that fool going, anyways. So I stopped, okay? I, I stopped at the 18th mile, by the way, which is the biggest hurdle for all marathon runners. So I stopped. My, my, my legs were killing me. My foot was, you know, just, just... So I stopped on the side of the curb, and I saw a bunch of these guys, right? A bunch of these guys sitting on the side of the curb. And the guy next to me um, was telling a story. And, and this is how he goes. And, and there's, like I said, like, there's maybe like 15 guys on the side of the road. We're just, you know, we're tired. And he says, guess what? And he goes, what? And he goes, you know what? This is my third time. Sitting here at the 18th hour, 18th mile, and my car is right there. <laughs> my car is right there. And like everybody's looking like, why are you running the race if you're going to quit? He goes, well, I mean, I want to, you know, I want to be able to finish it. Anyways, he tells a very, very interesting and funny story. So last year, same thing happened. At the 18th, you know, 18th mile, my car was parked, and I, I, I you know, my, my leg gave out, and, and, and I went into my car. I went into my car. I wanted to rest my, my, my tired body. In a few minutes, he heard a knocking on his window. He rolled down the window, and the runner asked him. There was a runner asked him, hey, sir, what time is it? And he goes, 11, 11. Hey, thanks. And he took off. He closed the window, tried to fall asleep again. A few minutes later, another runner came by and it says, he, he knocked on the window and says, he rolls down the window and says, hey, sir, what time is it? And he goes, it's 11, 11. And, and so, you know what, he was frustrated, right? And, and, and he saw a bunch of other runners coming his way, right? So what did he do? So he wrote out a little sign and placed it on his car that read, I don't know the time. In bold print, he, he, he put it on, and he rolled, he rolled up his window. And a few minutes later, a runner came by, knocked on his window, and, and, and he opened the window. Sir, it's 11-11. And he goes. Now, what's the moral of that story? The moral of the story is the worst place you can be in a race 
is sleeping on that side of the track. And this is like the sort of what Peter is asking of us today. Have you been doing that? Thinking about the eternal glory in the midst of your sufferings. And if not, Peter is sort of saying, get back on the track. Get back in the race. I want you to run well. Not just to finish, but I want you to finish you know, um, I was having a conversation with Pastor Calvin the other day, and, and Pastor Calvin, what do you think about these days? What are you thinking about these days as you're, you know, kind of, you know, talk, thinking of retirement and things like that? And Pastor, look, Pastor Calvin looked me in the eye and says, you know, when I'm thinking of finishing well, how do I finish this race really, really well? And, and so Peter raises up the eyes of his readers to consider their finish line by summing up one simple truth. And I want you to go back to verse 10. It says, but may the God of all grace. Did you catch that? I mean, telling you through this whole chapters about God's saving grace. His sanctifying grace. Grace to keep you secure till you get to heaven. And the grace to endure pain during hardships and trials. I want you to remember he is a God of all grace. As he's closing his book, he wants his audience to remember one truth before we finish that cross line, one simple truth, that God is a God of grace. You know, sometimes I run into believers who have forgotten about that God is a God of grace. Because honestly, they, they come to me and say, you know, Pastor Ben, man, my journey, my spiritual journey has been really, really difficult. It's been rough. I mean, still is. I, I'm starting trying to put things into perspective, but man, it's so difficult. Because they're in the trenches and dodging the bullets of life. And while they're in this pit of life, they become really, really judgmental. And mostly what, what they say is that if God is a God of love, how could he do this to me? How could he let this thing happen to me? And they become very, very bitter in the midst of their sufferings and trials. Now, I want you to notice something, what Peter says. Now, Peter does not refer to God as a God of all fairness, or does he say that God is a God of all justice? Now, absolutely, right? He is that. Also, Peter does not refer to God as a God of all truth, or that God is all correctness, and certainly he is that. But he wanted to leave his audience with the character of God as we go through sufferings and trials, I want you to remember that God is a God of grace. God is a God of grace. And I love the way that David responded in Psalm 86, 15. On the latter part of his life, he says, Oh Lord, are you a God full of compassion and gracious? You are a God is a full of compassion and full of gracious. Now, if you were to say, Pastor Ben, 
If you were to pick one person in the Bible who had one tumultuous life, I would pick. Now, some of you guys may differ, but I would pick King David. I mean, think about it. Now, King Saul, right, his, his, his former king, tried to kill him. His very own son tried to kill him also. So he was in the run for seven years. And he, while he was at the top of his reign, right, he made one fatal mistake that cost him not only his newborn, but his kind of a kingship. And, and the list goes on and on. If you ever seen or gone through the life of David. But at the end of life, at the end of his final bread, as he's about to finish that race, finish that, finish that cross line, final line, this is his kind of the final words. He says, God is a God of compassion and that God is a God of grace. And honestly, when we actually come into the New Testament, this word, God of grace, grace, takes on a whole new complexion because it is a very covenant that relates to God. It's the idea of a, con- a covenant of unmerited favor. Grace. And if you read in John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The law came to Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So under the law, God demands righteousness from a man, but under grace, God gives righteousness to us. Under the law, righteousness is based upon our good works, but under grace, it is based upon whose work? Jesus Christ, yeah. And under the law, it only takes one sin to make us a sinner, but under grace, it only takes one Savior to fix everything, fix all the sins that we have committed. And so to put all this thing into perspective, grace is how God deals with us. It is not based upon what we deserve, but is based upon what Jesus did on the Christ for us. And that's exactly what Peter is trying to convey to us before we finish that. So it's grace, G-R-A-C-E. One of the most popular girls' name, I think, in the 80s and the 90s, grace. There's always a grace, right, in some churches, right? And Peter wants us to fully grasp that it is God is a God of grace. Hey, if you have never heard the acronym of grace, I'm going to show you something today. G-R-A-C-E. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. If you, like sometimes, okay, God's grace, okay, oh, oh I want you to remember, God's riches at Christ's expense. I, I don't know who thought of that, but I think it's so cute. God's riches at Christ's expense, and I think it's so true. And so Peter encourages us to be sober-minded and to be alert Because our adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, making us doubt that God is a God of grace. Take a look in verse 8 and 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may be devoured. Resist them steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in this world. 
Now, I want you to notice something right here. And we know, some of you guys who've been reading in the New Testament, it's kind of different from uh, the Old Testament. I want you to notice the devil in this verse is not pictured as some sly snake who sneaks upon you quietly and bites you, right? Peter describes the devil as a roaring lion. Now, I have pause here for a moment. As I was reading and preparing for this sermon, like, why? Why would Peter say the devil is like a roaring lion? Because the roaring lion, when they're hungry and angry, the devil is not going to sneak upon us. He's going to terrify us, make us afraid, fill us with anxieties, keep us off balance and nervous. And Peter tells us that his aim is to destroy all believers through sufferings, and his greatest weapon is to make us doubt. To make us doubt that he is a God of grace, the goodness of God, the presence of God, the power of God, that God loves us and he cares for us. And he explains that this is how the terrible wars, his claws and teeth, is going to try its best, right, to make us doubt that God is not a God of grace. So as I was reading verse 8 through 9, I just realized that, you know what, in order for us to win our spiritual battles, now, not only do we need to know who the enemy is, we already know who the enemy is, right, but... More importantly, I think we need to know of his tactics. And that's why Peter is reminding us that the devil often hits us when we are down. I think, you know what, the devil hits us when we are down. I think he knows exactly when we are down. It's like that slogan, when it rains, it pours. You have, have one of those moments, you know what, you, you, you just, it's unbearable. And all of a sudden, there's more things in life. And I think the devil waits for that moment, for that jugular moment. When it rains, it pours. And the devil's greatest weapon is to make us doubt and to discredit that God is a God of grace. People of CLC, I want you to remind I want to remind this morning, the war is over. The war is over on Calvary. Amen. Amen. Good. The war is already won on Calvary, but Satan is trying his best to win these small little battles. You know, Satan already knows that the outcome He's at the end of that finish line. He's going to be destroyed, but he's going to try his best to enlarge his territory. What's his territory? L, right? He's going to make as many people down into L and to make us quit in our spiritual journeys, this spiritual marathon, by making us doubt, by putting into our lives, did God In 1952, young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off the Catalina Island. 
determined to swim the shores of the mainland California. Now, she's already been the first woman to swim across the English Channel both ways, and she was considered the best female swimmer at that time. But that morning, the weather was very, very cold, foggy, and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. Now, that's incredible. 15 hours. Dude, I could even stay afloat for five minutes. But then she began to be begged, be taken out of the water along the way. But her mother, along the side of the boat, told her, Honey, it's, you're close, really close to the finish line, that you could actually make it. You could do it, dear. But finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and she was pulled out of the water. It wasn't until that she was on the boat that she had discovered that the shore was less than half a mile away. And at a news conference the next day, she said, All I could see was this dense fog. But if I had only seen the shore, I know. I could have made it. C.S. Lewis once said, Christians who do the most for this present world are those who think most of the next. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth. You'll get heaven. So Peter is saying, resist the devil. With unwavering joy and humility, with love. Keep on doing those things that who hate you, you love them. Keep on hoping. Keep on hoping for this eternal glory. This promise of total restorations, confirmation, strength, everlasting, unshakable, established glory. And Peter is saying... This future beyond the suffering of this world is the key to this earthly life. You know, um, as I was kind of preparing for this, you know, putting in my engine, because I remember a story in a Florence Chadwick a long time ago, and, and I would, you know, I would search the Google engine, and I was you know, Googling, you know, runners and, you know, what mile was the, 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 the most difficult. As I was preparing for this sermon, I feel like the AI knows exactly what I'm thinking. Do, do you guys ever have those moments? Like, seriously, like, you know what? Like, because of your search history, like, even before, like, like you're thinking about it and, and the search engine already knows, right? The search engine already knows. Anyways, as I was doing all these search engine things and all of a sudden, I read an article about a Kenyan runner, about a Kenyan runner, and this is what the article says. One of the most amazing runners on the planet Earth, and if you ever watch people from Kenya run, it's almost like the whole country has produced great runners. Now, if you, don't, if you ever watch the Olympics, I, I love the Olympics, you guys know the last two years, this guy from Kenya, Elude Kipchonge has won the last two Olympic marathon. And anyways, one of the Olympics, one of the reporters asked one of the Kenyan runners this question. Hey, hey, why is it that your country has produced so many great runners? And he smiled and said, 
I think it must be all those road signs back at home. And the reporter asks, what signs? And the Kenyan runner says, the sign that reads, beware of all lions. You know, seriously, when we actually try to finish that cross line, once again, it's one of those things that we ignore, we're falling asleep. But Peter is reminding us today, I want you to think of that eternal glory, eternal hope. Now, as I conclude First Peter, I want to leave you with one more thought. Can we go back to verse 10? Can we go back to verse 10? Good. Now, we know that he's a God of all grace, right? That he's the one who's called us. He's the one who actually called us into this eternal glory. But I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice there's something attached to this calling. And I don't ever want you to miss this. There is this condition that God's called upon, verse 10, may but may the God of all grace, who called us into glory by Christ Jesus. May the God of all grace, who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Let me remind you of this verse, what reminds me. You will never automatically enjoy God's grace in this life and automatically enjoy God's glory in heaven if you don't have Jesus. Let me repeat that. You will never automatically enjoy God's grace in this life nor automatically enjoy God's grace in heaven if you do not have Jesus Christ. morning, I'm going to ask you, do you have Jesus Christ? You know, tomorrow morning, I want you to get up and say, you know what? I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go to heaven. Now, you may not do it every day, but I want you to be assured that you will be going to heaven because you have Jesus Christ in your life. And I want you to remind this verse that God is a God of grace, but you will never be able to enjoy that grace if you don't have Jesus in your life. People of CLC, you could come to church all your life. You could spend eternity at church. And I'm finding it more and more, just like that illustration I gave a couple of weeks ago, that at a Fremont church, how come you never told me about Jesus? I'm finding it more and more today that, you know what, I don't know if, you're, if the church is falling asleep or... Man, the vision is to, to love God, love people, and to go to the ends of the earth by telling Jesus. I want to encourage you. As you spend your barbecue tomorrows or whatever you're doing tomorrow, if you have this, this, this grace of God, man, I want you to see it. I want you to tell it. 
I want you to tell of God's grace, how much God is full of grace. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, you kind of woke us up, that a truth that we know, but sometimes we ignore or fall asleep. But Father God, I know that there is eternal glory, that one day that we will enjoy. But you say that, you know what, we'll never be able to enjoy that if we don't have Jesus. Father God, I just pray that our church will not fall asleep because, Father God, we ignore that aspect of the gospel, of presenting the gospel, presenting Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. Father God, as we go and spend this week, Father God, be with us and guide us, Father God. But more importantly, Father God, help us have this kind of an emergence, Father God, of telling the story of Jesus. Father, I thank you so very much. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.